Um, have you ever had an encounter with God's word uh, where you thought, there's no way I could be in good standing with him after seeing what he said? Like, you see it, you understand it, you grasp it, and you say, there's just no hope for me. It's just, he is too holy, and I am too sinful. I mean, most of us, if we are have stood before Scripture and looked at it and seen it for what it is, would say, I, I've been there at that moment where I thought, man, I just, I, there is no hope for me. Uh, one of the saddest things in the world would be for God to say, this is who I am, and I want you to see me in the fullness of my character and then leave you there. You know, you think about Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he fell down as a dead man. And he says, woe is me. And had the angel not been sent to bring to him the, the, this, this reminder that God saves and rescues sinners, he would be left there. Some of you, if you're honest this morning, you, you kind of, you may be still wondering, like, how does that going to work? How could I stand before a perfect and holy God as a sinful person. And we're going to see that today and think about how does God answer that issue. But if I share the gospel, almost every time I start out, God is holy. Second point, man is sinful. Third point, there is one who has come to rescue sinful humanity from the wrath of God. I mean, God is holy, man is sinful, and then I would say Christ is Savior and Lord. Followed by, how do you respond to that? That, that would be my uh, almost overwhelmingly that, the outline. I would follow the structure of the Apostle Paul in Romans, and again, I would just unpack that over and over and over again. Because I think that's where we have to come to the, kind of to the issue of like, how does God answer that question? How can you be in good standing with him? And, and what was the solution to this great crisis that we face? The solution is the incarnation. And that is a big word, and people use it sometimes more than others. It is the Son of God became a man, and he came and dwelt among us. God in flesh, the God-man, came to this earth that was the solution to the problem you're not the solution to your sin problem god is if you were the solution to the sin problem then god would not have to come down if you were the savior of yourself god doesn't have to come down but god the eternal son of god came down to the earth becoming man to rescue us that was the only hope of rescue you can't rescue you God the Son had to leave heaven, come to earth to redeem us from our sins. He endured the, the temptation that we face. He experienced it at every level, at greater levels than you and I ever will because He never gave in. After His perfect obedience to the Father in His life, He then perfectly obeyed in His death. So that we who were alienated from God could be reconciled to God. 
That's at the heart of it. That's the Christian Gospel. That's the message. That's the hope that we have. That's what we are banking on. And it's not just that when we think about the Incarnation, it's not just that, okay, Jesus came to save us from our sins and to make it where we could kind of go to heaven and all is well. Because that is some, some people, um, you know, when they're thinking about it, it's like, do you want to go to heaven or hell? Oh, I want to go to heaven. Well, everybody wants to go to heaven. Well, well okay, then what is that? That, that kind of answers that question. But like, what about life after trusting in the Lord? Is the Lord working with us then? Is He helping us then? Does He care about that, those things? Does He care about how you live today? And how you, what you're doing? And whether or not you're doing well? And whether or not you're honoring Him? And all, Yes, He cares about that. And the reality is, is in the Incarnation, it allowed Jesus to understand fully what we experience in a much greater way than we experience it because, again, He was perfect in every way. And so, on this earth, He does not leave us to be like, kind of like, hey, I'll take care of the heaven thing. You guys take care of earth. I'll see you on the other side. It's not the picture. He is constantly there interceding for His people. He, is, he knows what they face and He is close to them in their struggles that's that's valuable right i mean that's something you kind of say i want i want to i want to know that i want to know that 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 there's certainty there that i can go to him i want to know that i can draw near to him i want to know that he's near me i want to know he understands what's going on I want him to, 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 to understand that so much so that he is, he is drawing close to me in my times of struggle. I want to know that I can cry out and that he hears and again understands it. Sometimes we think of maybe we're facing an issue. Let's say you have an issue in your life and you say, I have this particular issue. Nobody else has ever had that issue. Well, that's not really true. I mean, that's not true. But, and so, like, if you say, I've, I'm struggling with this particular sin, and I said, look, let's do this. You come up beside me, every head bowed. I want you to raise your hand if you struggle with that sin so that I could just show this person. And, like, hands start to kind of, like, tremble and kind of move up. And you're like, see, I told you. Like, and, and the reality is, it's like you kind of want to move people along and say, just understand that. Those are real. Struggles are real. Trouble is real. And the incarnation, the wonderful thing about that, Christ coming to us is not only is He going to rescue us from sin's uh, penalty, but He's also going to be so close to us that He's going to know that the struggle with sin in the present is very real and you're going to face it. And He understands that and so He draws close to you. So, that's just, I think, at the heart of what we're dealing with today. Remember what we've been doing in, in, in Hebrews? In the structure of Hebrews, there'll be this explanation, pulling all these Old Testament texts together, and then like this, this time where He's going to exhort you to like, you better listen to what I'm saying, and then He's going to, keep going 
He's going to explain some stuff, pick up Old Testament text, and then he's going to say, you better listen to what I'm saying so that you keep pressing on. These people are in danger, and so he's speaking to them and encouraging them. When we started Hebrews, we started with the emphasis on Jesus being the final word, the final revelation of God, the eternal word uh, that became man, expressed fully who God was to us. And we're moving into a time where we're going to talk about him as the great high priest. And we're going to see that kind of unfold. So hopefully you'll see it. So this is the big idea today. In Christ's coming, like when he came on this earth, the Son of God, that is the eternal Son of God, became man, or the Son of Man, as we'll see today, who fully identifies with the sufferings of mankind and who thus perfectly represents His people for God, uh, before God. So he, uh, he identifies with us, and then He represents us perfectly. So we're going to see that. You'll break, you can break it down today in verses 5-9, to nine, and we'll just say, hey, let's celebrate the coming of Christ uh, first the Son of God becoming the Son of Man, and we'll kind of look at that and move through. Now, I want you to go back to chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and I want you to just see the flow of, of the argument. You would read 1, 13 through 14, and then you would skip to 1 through 4, which was the warning last week, called the warning passages of Hebrews, and then you're going to pick back up in 2, 5 to 9, and it's just kind of going to keep flowing, basically. So, 113 to 14, and to which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool uh, for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those uh, who are to inherit salvation? So what is he saying? He's saying Christ is the only one who is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father. He is reigning there. He is the King. He is is ruling over the universe he said of him sit at my right hand until i make all the enemies uh, a footstool at your feet again just kind of a picturing for you his reign verse five for it was not to angels that god subjected the world to come of which we are speaking what's he talking about he's saying it's not the angels that ushered in this new day it's not the angels that brought this about and, and, and angels are there's so many benefits to understanding things about angels, to knowing their ministry and work and all that kind of stuff, but they are not the ones who, the, who has ushered in this new age, the new age has dawned with. They are not the ones. They're not the ones who have like set up a kingdom that will stand forever. They're, they're not the, the ones that, that did that. The, the, Christ did that. He has accomplished that. The eternal Son of God became man and He defeated all of our enemies. He, he, he took back the world. And He's going to usher in a new day where it will be totally restored. And it's started, but it's going to be fully like on display in yet the future. So I think it's just important. He did not usher in, or they, the angels did not usher in the new age, the world to come. Christ did. Verse 6, it has been testified somewhere. This is kind of an interesting thing, but it's just, he's quoting Psalm 8. He knows that he's quoting that, but he's kind of like not emphasizing the author because typically in Hebrews, when he speaks of God's Word, it will be like 
God said this, God said that. But here it's speaking about something that he wants to, he's communicating about what God is doing and has done. And so he says, look, somewhere, someone somewhere said, again, he's quoting from Psalm 8. So he says, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So I want you to note something in verse 5, subjected. Here, subjection. If you want to, you could highlight in your Bible, subjection or subjected, and you can mark those. You kind of see what this is about and what's taking place, but kind of helps you see that on display. But, so when we're looking at this, verse 6, he's speaking, really, if you're in Psalm 8, you would think of him speaking of mankind, and particularly maybe Adam, where we're thinking in terms of like, what is it that God would care about the Son of Man, the people, uh, humanity in some, in, in some ways. But, but really, again, we're kind of speaking of that idea of the first Adam, and then in verse 7, he's going to pick up and like explain that further and, and talk about, really push that towards the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, the idea here is for a little while, Jesus is under the angels in the sense that he leaves the glories of heaven. He comes down to earth. It was not, you know, sometimes we think of like, we'll go to a certain place on the earth and we think, man, that's shocking. I can't believe that. But when they're thinking that in light of, like, the God's like being in the presence of God, there's no comparison. He, again, like you'll see that in, in Philippians 2, he doesn't cease to be God, but he emptied himself. And he becomes like the humblest of servants for a little while. That's what Jesus did. For a little while, he came down. Now, that's really valuable to us. For a little while, he came down to dwell among us. But you've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So he comes down and then he's exalted. The first coming is he comes down into the, 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 the darkness and the sadness and the brokenness and really serves that in such a way that he ultimately dies and then he is exalted. That's kind of the picture here. He really comes down to serve us and, and the only way really, as we'll see, to rescue the broken world that we're in. He has to rescue it by becoming a part of it and then dying so that we could be rescued and saved. For all those who believe in Him, they will be rescued by this work that He does. And so He comes down, He ushers in this new day by defeating the contamination, the corruption, the brokenness, the sin, the death, the darkness, all of those things. Uh, by his death on the cross. So now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Uh, so just, I, I think it's important to say, it doesn't always feel like that. I asked uh, the guys I was in, in Bible study with earlier, younger guys, I was like, now do you see in, in different parts of uh, your life, like here, or, or not here, but, but around, that you see people like submitted to Christ, and they're like, um, 
Well, on Sunday mornings, I mean, it looks kind of like that. You know, we're here worshiping. I was like, but what about when you go out around people? There, oh, oh, no, 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 I don't see that. You know, and, and so the reality is, is, is uh, some of the different ways you see that, and they were talking about it, uh, would be sometimes people would be afraid to kind of have any kind of voice for Christ in, in, where, in, in the public arena because they would feel like somebody might look down upon them or talk bad about them or whatever. But, but the picture here is, even though it looks like sometimes he's not in control, he is. That, that's kind of the picture. I mean, I think that's important. You have to know that because you've got to get in your head that everything is, is under his control and yet in the present it doesn't always look like that. Uh, that's just, um, I think that's really important for us because that's where it takes you seeing with the eyes of faith. That's where you have to say, you know what, I don't really see that. You think about that first century bunch. I mean, they, they were around these extremely powerful nations and they're looking at it going like, it doesn't look like Christ is reigning. All that happened was he came on the scenes, talks about, we talk about him being the Messiah, he dies, he rises again, he ascends into heaven, and then we see the evidence of him saying he was going to send the Spirit, and then we look for his return. But while we're in the present, there's all kinds of trouble coming upon us. So you just think about that and what they're kind of facing. They're looking at all this and they're saying, man, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like that. And I don't know if you've ever been in something like that where you were, um, I don't know, in a, in a sporting event or you were somewhere and you thought, there's no way. Are you kidding me? You know, it's almost like you might walk out and you're like, a really small little team, and you walk out and you're going to go play Giants, and you're like, There's, we can't stand against them. Everything's going to, I mean, we'll be destroyed out there. That's kind of what it would feel like, and that's how the first century felt. And reality, if you really were able to kind of take the blinders off and see things as they are from just an earthly perspective, you would say, I know exactly what that's like. The, the culture, the, the pressure, and the world system is crashing down. On, it, it is seeking to destroy the things that are in... Anything that is uh, uh, like not in opposition to God, therefore, and those things that in, in ways that we would oppose the things that the world would be for, we kind of have to look at it and go, man, if, if we were really to... to to speak to people in the whole in the public arena and we were to say like this is what we believe about God this is what we believe about sin this is what we believe about salvation this is what we believe and you were able to do that in a public arena to the whole world and they're all watching it would not be something where people would be like yes finally somebody brought this to us it, so we understand we live in a fallen broken situation and that the world does not appear to be under his control while it actually is under his control. So he's a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So what happens is he is, he's crowned now with glory and honor, but it was after 
he accomplished this work. But it was after he accomplished the work of su- the suffering of death. So, so why did Jesus come? Sometimes people get into discussions about that. And I was telling the guys, they'll sit around together and they'll be like, well, I think Jesus came for this reason. I think he came for this reason. I think he came for that reason. But overwhelmingly, he came to die. It was not like one of those sad things where, that's why we say it's Good Friday. It's Good Friday. Because he came to die to rescue us from our sins. He came to die in our place. He became a substitute for us so that we would experience the grace of God and death would not have dominion over us. Death would not reign over us. Death would not be victorious over us. Death would just be a a moving, it's a passing uh, from life to life in a way for us. That's how we would see that because Jesus came and defeated the cords of death were like broken away and he was victorious over it. So, I mean, I guess the question for you sometimes is like, do you see him reigning? Do Do you really believe he reigns? He rules that he was victorious over all the powers. Do you believe that? And, and what, it, what kind of confidence does that give you? How does that change your view of him and, and life and what's going on here? Do you um, find yourself running to the throne and, and with the eyes of faith believing he is the crowned king victorious over all of our enemies? Do you value that God came down to us to dwell among us? When, 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 and do you really see His work as finished? Like when He said, it is finished, the wrath of God was satisfied when Christ accomplished His work. The mission was accomplished fully and completely. This most gracious gift is now offered to us. So as Christians or non-Christians here, I would say to you, Jesus coming to earth is that is the hope because we couldn't save ourselves we couldn't like rescue ourselves the the world was in this state of corruption and death and disease and disorder and it, it was all messed up and no matter what you would give to man he could not fix himself and so the eternal son of God became the son of man to come and rescue us and in that rescue, and the, this next, these next 10 through 18 speak of like the suffering that he endured, like where he is kind of the go-between between for us. And, and so he is suffering for us. So you look at verse 10. For it was fitting that the Father, that he, sorry, the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their faith... Uh, Sorry, the founder of their salvation, perfect through suffering. So the Father is going to do what is fitting here. The only possible way for us to be rescued is that there would be an infinitely perfect sacrifice for us. And that's how we had to, for us to be rescued, for salvation to be accomplished, the only fitting way was God in His infinite wisdom, the architect of the plan said, we need a perfect sacrifice. Someone who can substitute for man. That could stand in the place of man. Yet without sin. And so, the perfect Son of God becomes the perfect Son of Man. He, in every way, is right. So the, he is 
going to like accomplish this work for us and he is going to do so perfectly so how is he made perfect it's not the idea of being perfect that's on display here it's like he's uniquely qualified to do what he is going to do for us he's uniquely qualified to do it he is the right fit in every way and so the way in which he comes through that is through suffering it was the only way that we could be saved our sin demanded judgment and jesus was judged for us he stood in our place Jocelyn states, what is meant that Christ has become uniquely qualified to be the high priest between God and man due to the fact that he took on the flesh of, of a man, was tempted, suffered, and died. Thus, he is the unique God-man who mediates between the two. He is the go-between between God and us. The big issue of life is, is how can we be reconciled to a holy God? How can sinful people be made right with God? And so what he's centering this in is the only way that that can be done is that God comes down and becomes man while still being God. And then he dies for them. He suffers for them. He stands in their place. They deserve God's wrath and he took it upon himself. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, namely the Father. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. And so what is he saying? This oneness, this union between us and Jesus allows us, he as the Holy One makes us holy. He cleanses us from our sins. He rescues us. And he's not ashamed to call us his brothers because now, because of what he did, now we have access to the Father. Now we have access to the throne. He's brought us in. He's, he's, he, we've been able to be adopted through him, through the name of Christ. We have been reconciled to God. So we're thankful that the eternal Son of God became man and dwelt among us, and he came here uh, to, to suffer in our place, to rescue us from our sins he's not ashamed now it's not just that you're rescued and then kind of left away but you're rescued and brought in so he not only like cleans us cleanses us from our sins but he welcomes us into the family you know sometimes you might say you know um to your kids you might say you know so and so we meet somebody or, or maybe we in some part of life we meet someone and say you know, they really need our help. And we have the means today to help them. And so let's help them. And so we figure out a way to make sure that we help them. Maybe we buy them a gift card. Or maybe we, you know, there's a lot of things you could do. But the reality is, they're not coming into the house. Right? It, it, and I'm not saying, you know, there's lots of things to question. But, but it's like, there's this distance still but that's not the picture here he has brought us in he is proud to to bring us in and say my brothers look my brothers they're a part of the family they're, here's my brothers 
He's proud to do that. He is, he is because He's rescued and cleansed and, and made us right and restored us and brought us into the family. Verses 14-16. through 16. So what is the reason again? You're just trying to think through. What's the reason that He came? Verse 14, Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things. That is, Jesus became flesh and blood, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subjected to lifelong slavery. Now, I just, just think about that with me just for a minute. Like, what He's saying is, Jesus became flesh as we are flesh, and He became flesh so that He could die for us, so He could represent us, so that He could be uh, the mediator between us and God. And in doing so, He defeated the power of death. He was victorious over it. He went down and He came up victorious from the grave. It was verified. It was as if the Father stamped this approval. I accept what Christ did. And he defeated all those enemies, death, the devil, sin. You could make a long list of things. He, he destroyed their place that they were holding on to us with. There is no power over us any longer. Now here's the thing. He goes on to say, to deliver all those through the fear of death who were subject to slavery. It's almost like this. Your whole life, you might say, you know what, I used to have a fear of this there might have been something like i had a fear of heights and i overcame it you might say something like you know what i was afraid to get up in front of a group of people and say anything but i went to this particular course and they helped me overcome it you might say something like you know i used to fear uh going somewhere when i didn't have all that my myself together because what would people think about me what would they say about me you know, there's all these types of things where, you know, that you could have, you could be afraid of. But the one thing that you could be afraid of that you would never overcome is death. Do you know that? Like if you were sitting there and you said like, you know what, I can overcome all these other things, but the thing that you could not overcome is death. It's like no matter how much money you have in the bank, death's not stopped, right? It doesn't matter like, how much like self-help stuff you do and figure out how to it won't stop that you can't stop death and jesus they're our greatest enemy the enemy that stares us in the face that when we can really see it we understand we will never overcome that jesus defeated death he's defeated sin he's defeated satan he has overcome all those things so that your lifelong slavery to death has been broken. That, that's crazy. I mean, I, I, what I want you to think about in that is this right here. This early church knew that people had died for the faith. This early church knew that houses had been set on fire. This early church knew that people's livelihoods had been lost. This early church knew that children had died, right? Because of someone's commitment to Christ. They knew 
all of those things. And the only way that these people would be able to stand in, in the midst of that, faithful to Christ, is that somehow their bondage to death was broken. What he says is, the incarnation, Jesus came down. He came down and took on our form. He walked among us and perfectly lived out what we have failed to live out. He perfectly obeyed in every way. And then He went to the cross, bearing our shame, experiencing the wrath of God. And then He came up from the grave victorious so that you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear death because He defeated death. And it's like Billy Graham said, people will say I've died, but I did not die. I just changed my address. That set them free. That, that would set that first century church free to say, I can follow Him wherever He leads me, I'll go. Verse 16, for surely it is not the angels that He helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham. What is He saying? There is some, Jesus did not come to die for angels. Jesus came to die and rescue a people for Himself. He, came, he did not become an angel. Jesus did not become an angel. He became a man. The eternal Son of God became a man in order to rescue us. Verse 17 and 18. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So, what's he saying? In every way, in every respect, he, he became human in every respect. People might, there were all kinds of heresies in church history where like he became this, he looked like this, he did that, he appeared to be a man. He became a man in every respect like us, knowing exactly what we face, experiencing it in full measure so that He could represent us like a great high priest. You, you can only represent a people that you understand. He understood what it was like to be them. He experienced all the troubles of this life like them. And not only that, this allowed Him then to sacrifice on behalf of the people. But what, what does He sacrifice? He lays down His own life as a propitiation. What's the idea there? To satisfy the wrath of God. God says, listen, sin must be punished. Jesus becomes like us, the eternal Son of God becoming man, walks among us so that He could be the high priest for us, but He's also the sacrifice. And He lays His life down for us, enduring the wrath of God for us, so that God could be satisfied with us, so that we could be His brothers. He experienced what we could never uh, pay for ourselves. It's in, in the sense of like, in, in this short span of time, He is going to endure the wrath of God to such an extent that it will satisfy what would it, an eternal damnation would be for us. He does this 
in such a powerful way, he satisfies God's wrath. And God says, I accept it when he raised him from the dead. Verse 18, for he for because he himself was, has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So not only this, not only did he satisfy God's wrath on our behalf. He is interceding on our behalf now. He is looking at us and saying, you know what, that guy. That one, my, my child, my, my son, my brother, I know he's struggling. I, I can see it. I know the temptations that haunt him. I know what's in the darkest part of his heart and in his mind. I know that. I, I know what that thing that seems to grip his heart, that draws him away. I know what entices him away from faithfulness. I know that. I know every aspect of Him. And He's merciful and faithful to come to His people to not only rescue them from eternal damnation, but to rescue them from the present sufferings of living in a broken fallen world with people that still have a flesh that's still crying out he is interceding on their behalf he is fighting for them so today you can celebrate the incarnation the coming of the son of god who became man to identify with us suffer on our behalf so that he might not only deal with our sin forever, but also in the present help us. Some of us go so many different places for help. We run to all these things everywhere. We might go, I'll go to help here. This will help me. This help, 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 help. I need, I need, I need, I need. And we forget about what Christ says He has done for us. He will stick close to us. He will rescue us. He came to save us. We can be anchored in that truth. He never forgets us. He never is sleeping. He's never not there that you might call out to Him. He has ushered in you into His presence and forever is with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that we would celebrate Jesus that we would celebrate His coming, that we would celebrate all the benefits that we've received from that. We ask that You would help us see and savor and, and take in the wonders of what it means to, for God to suffer for us and then to continue to suffer with us in serving us and blessing us even in the midst of all the darkness and the sadness and the pain. In Christ's name, amen.